I'm Jason Martin, and this is the Black Voices from Big Brown podcast. These are the untold stories of African-Americans at UPS, and I'm proud and excited to be a part of the team of executives at UPS headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia, that conceived the idea to record the stories of some of the first black folks that UPS ever hired and learn about their journey to success. In these interviews, you're going to hear firsthand the accounts of real UPS trailblazers, black people that entered the UPS world at different times and places in history, and how they prevailed in a white dominated country and company. Our current CEO, Carol B. Tomei, has said the following, no one is safe until we are all safe. And we know there's no place in any community anywhere in the world for racism, bigotry, or hate. We will not stand quietly or idly on the sidelines of this issue. This statement and this goal began with our black voices from Big Brown honorees. Listen to these voices, for they are the message. They are the foundation for the future of racial equity at not only UPS, but at companies all over the world. When asked to host this series, to introduce and provide some topical insight into black voices from Big Brown, untold stories of African-Americans at UPS, my very first question was, why me? And for the longest, I didn't have an answer. Then I sat through some of and listened to the other interviews of the honorees, and the reason hit me so hard, I almost had to package my senses up and ship them back to myself just so I could get it together. The beginning of these epic stories, all true just to let you know ahead of time, echo the beginning of my own story with UPS. There were those who would be barriers and those who would help you either get over, under, or around those barriers or just simply demolish them. And I do mean that figuratively for the most part. But for those of you listening, and I hope you choose to share this podcast series with others, I can almost without a doubt guess you're asking yourself a bigger series of why questions. Why now? Why this? Why is this important? Why should it matter? Why am I even listening to this? I hope I can answer your whys. Most important, I hope your whys change to why nots as this series progresses. For those of you who aren't UPSers, just remove UPS and insert your workplace as you envision the stories you will hear during this epic series. The experiences you will hear about could have very well happened in any organization or corporation at one point or another, even to you. How many African-American female engineers worked at UPS in 1989? Anyone know the answer? One, Rhonda Clark. That's all I have to say. But you need to hang around and listen to what Rhonda has to say. Welcome to Black Voices from Big Brown. These are the untold stories of African-Americans at UPS. Pioneers who rose above societal and corporate prejudice to achieve the highest levels of success. Hired as an engineer in 1989, Rhonda Clark was the only African-American and the only woman, but she would change all that. Under her leadership, the department reached 44% diversity with 17% women. Black Voices talks with Rhonda Clark about her transformative career with UPS. 
I'm April Nelson. On this edition of Black Voices from Big Brown, we welcome Rhonda Clark. Hello. Hi, April. So good to have you here, Rhonda. So great to be here. Thank you, April. We got to take people back because you've been with us for quite a minute. <laughs> 1989 in Knoxville, Tennessee. Absolutely. Okay, that year, Bobby Brown's My Prerogative topped the Billboard charts in America. <laughs> and I like this song because you were definitely exercising your prerogative and doing what you wanted to do, an engineer, and nobody else looked like you. Absolutely. That was the case. Talk about that. Um, I remember when I uh, very first started with UPS on my first couple of days, it was one of the things I noticed right away. Um, I came into the plant engineering department, as it was called back then, and uh, I did not see any other black faces. I was the only one not only in the department in Knoxville, but for, for throughout the district. I did not see anybody else that looked just like me when I uh, started my career there. Did you think for a second, hmm, <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny because the, the culture was so different. I, I remember, you know, me, I was hired in a role that was very non-traditional. I did not start as a part-time employee and work my, my way up. So my first experience with UPS was as a full-time supervisor in the district. And uh, it was just eye-opening. It was, uh, you know, just a really strict, stern environment. There were very few people of color in any operation, but most importantly in the engineering group that I worked in. So it was a little bit of a culture shock. But I think with UPS, you know, either your blood transforms and you become brown and you embrace the culture or you leave. But uh, for me, I kind of embraced the culture fairly early on and got comfortable with being different and just went on about my business. So you're starting as a supervisor, which means that you're telling other people what to do, kind of. Mm -hmm. And if these people are white males, mm -hmm. what, give us some Oh, yeah, some stories. of my favorite stories. Um, and then, too, in the plant engineering group. So not only did I have people reporting to me, the people that reported to me were mechanics. And it's one of my favorite stories to tell. I was a 23-year-old, you know, young female, African-American female supervisor of mechanics who serviced the conveyor equipment inside the buildings. And one of my direct reports was a older man, probably in his late 50s. And I remember the day they took me out and introduced me to him and says, hey, Joe, this is your new supervisor. This is Rhonda. He literally laughed until he cried in the floor. I mean, he just, he could not embrace the thought that this young black female was his boss. And, uh, you know, it was funny back then, but I always say it was one of my favorite stories to tell because when you fast forward two or three years later, um, when Joe retired, I can remember very clearly at his retirement party, him being so excited and talking about what a great experience it was to have me as his leader. So I used to tell him as we, you know, as he grew and as I grew, that you're going to teach me how to hold you accountable and I'm going to make, make you happy every day that you do it. Uh, we both enjoyed a, a great relationship years down the road that was built on just me being put in the role and him being forced to follow my leadership. But it really developed into a great relationship. What do you think that he most respected about you? Um, you know, one thing I think for one is I'm, I'm a very humble person, so I knew I didn't know a lot about what his job responsibilities were. So instead of trying to be his boss, I used him to kind of help teach me the ropes, to show me what you do, teach me how to, how to put a Dutchman in a conveyor, teach me how to change a motor. I didn't know how to do those things. So it was my respect of the job that he was already doing that allowed him to be able to teach, number one, and gave, put him in a position of power. But also, I always made sure I removed barriers out of his way. So if we were in the middle of a breakdown in the hub and everybody's screaming and there's problems and we got to get the systems back online, 
he knew I was going to be the person that would kind of clear the path for him to get his work done, and I would manage all the people and kind of keep them informed so that he could focus on what was most important at the time. So I think the relationship grew out of a respect for him and what the job that he did, which gave him the opportunity to respect the job that I did on his behalf. Where did that come from, Rhonda? I mean, yes, you were so smart, but did your mama raise you with all that? Um, you know, I think it was a combination of that. I get asked that all the time about who my personal mentors were, and I would say for sure my grandmother was one, my uh, father definitely a number two, and my mom as a number three. And I, I joke and say that my father always loved the fact that I was smart. My older sisters would call it a nerd, which is what I was called most of my way through high school and all through college. I was a bit of a nerd, but my father always loved that about me. So I think he developed the confidence in me that I could do whatever I wanted to do. And I always joke, my mom, if she were here, she'd tell you. And she always made sure I did it looking my best. You know, she wanted to make sure you represent, be proud of the fact that you're female, be proud of the fact that you're African-American and wear those badges with courage. Don't, don't feel like you have to change and become something other than who you are. And I think that compassion for people definitely came from my grandmother. My grandmother always taught us, you know, when we were very small, be good girls, be respectful, take care of people, you know, make sure that you take care of everybody around, help somebody that's beside you or next to you because you're going to need help along the way. And the best way to pay that forward is to make sure that you take care of others. So you take the job at UPS, you're a supervisor of others. Was there a point when you felt like you weren't quite sure you'd made the right decision and, and if so, I mean, if you decided, okay, I've made the right decision, when did you know that this was going to be a long future for you? Um, I think pretty early on. You know, I, I say the same about today. I even have days today where I doubt myself whether or not um, I'm the person who should have the responsibilities that I have and if I have the ability to do the job. But I think that doubt is what keeps me on my toes, you know, to always make sure I'm doing the right thing for people. But I fell in love with the culture very early on. I felt like UPS was a place that was safe. Um, it was a place where I could voice my opinion. People didn't necessarily like it, but I never felt like I was punished for doing so. And the more I learned about the company and about what programs were available and what opportunities were available, it just made me decide to strive for more and more, and more of those. If others could have them, why couldn't I have them? So, I said, let's take it on, let's do it, and let's pursue it. But I figured out very early in that I did like UPS, and it was a company that I wanted to stay with and spend my career. So after a few years, you got your first move, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Um, first relocation, definitely the hardest. Um, I, I took the job at UPS initially because I did get to stay in my hometown. It was local, and I like that. I'm very close to my family, very close to my parents, my grandparents. My entire family lived in Knoxville. So a first relocation was tough. And if you'd asked me the day I started with UPS, if I would have taken a reload, I probably would have said no. But by the time the opportunity came, I was vested enough in the company and wanted to be a part of the change that was happening in the organization. So I was more than willing to take it. The difficult part was um, sharing the information with my family. And I still um, remember I went back home and I told my mother about the relocation. But initially, I told her that we were moving to California because I knew my family would have a really strong reaction to me moving away. They would not be looking forward to that. And she got really upset. And she's, oh, my gosh, my grandkids aren't going to know me. I'm never going to see you. And then I finally, after she you know, did all this big, huge reaction, I said, Mom, it's just Nashville. <laughs> so it kind of brought her back down to reality. And everybody kind of calmed down. And you know, it made it a lot more palatable for the family to accept that I was going to be moving away. Um, but it was quite a challenge, picking up your family. I had um, three small children at the time. We moved, even though it was only three hours from home, it was away from home, and it was something that I hadn't experienced before. 
But um, I took it on and enjoyed everything that I learned in the new experience, in the new job, whole different group of people. But, you know, UPS is UPS wherever you go. And uh, UPSers, when you pick up and move, they embrace you and uh, help you kind of, you know, become a part of the fabric of the new location. So overall, my first reload was a very, very positive one. I had some others down the road that were a little more challenging, but moving from Knoxville to Nashville, that was a pretty easy move to make. Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, that was number two. <laughs> was, was that one challenging? That was definitely challenging. And not only because it was so far away, but it was culturally different. So, you know, I grew up in the South. I was very comfortable with living in Tennessee, very comfortable with living in Nashville. The culture was very, very similar to what I had experienced in Knoxville. But moving to Omaha, um, it was really a great distance from family. And very, um, if you can say not diverse, it was a very non-diverse environment for myself as well as my kids, which was really my biggest concern moving there, is that it's just not a city that has a lot of diversity. So the changes there were pretty significant and dramatic. And not only just different um, in terms of geography, but how different was your work environment? The work environment, you know, UPS is UPS, but um, I think what was most different for me moving to Omaha was the labor environment for the, the group that I work with. In Tennessee, it was a very cooperative um, mechanic group that I had. Um, by the time I moved to Omaha, I was not only supervising mechanics, but also supervising supervisors. So that whole work ethic was still really good, but the, the tensions that existed between Teamsters and machinists and management was really, really very challenging. And um, it was the first time that I really understood what it meant to become a manager. Very different from a supervisor where, you know, you take care of your daily responsibilities and you kind of go home. As a manager, you have a bigger operation that you're in control of. So all of that was a different environment for me. Different challenges with every re relocation. But for Omaha, the labor environment was the greatest challenge that I had to face from a work perspective. How did you manage it? Um, slowly, day by day, you know, I, I always believe deep down inside that people's intentions are good. So even though there's conflict, I think if you get to the root of what is causing the conflict, you can start to work your way through conflict. So what I did is I used to spend a lot of time t talking with the groups, just as individuals. Let's sit down. Let's talk about what your concerns are. Because I remember when I got to the job, it was a drawer full of open grievances. <clears throat> and I remember very clearly saying to the mechanic group, that I don't have time to do this. We have so much we have to get done that we can't spend our time arguing about labor. So let's sit down, talk about what we need to do, what situations we can resolve ourselves, and the ones that we can't, we'll take to the next step. But just through those open, honest conversations and letting them express some of the frustrations they felt over the years, um, I think helped us work through the issues. I'm very collaborative by nature. I like to hear people's perspectives, people's thoughts. I believe that when you take others' ideas into account, you make better decisions at the end of the day. So that's what I focused my attention on, was understanding the root causes of their problems so that we could come to some resolutions that everyone could feel good about. Okay, it gets complicated, or more, more or less, Edison, New Jersey. Now you're way across the country again. <laughs> Absolutely. And <laughs> okay. I'll say again, culture was extremely different in New Jersey as the other two locations. I think it's one of the things that's really shaped who I am as a leader because conflict went to a whole different level when I moved to New Jersey. Uh, I think the Northeast just has a reputation and an attitude of toughness 
that growing up in the South, you know, where we're taught to be very sweet and very kind and very accommodating, it was just a very different environment in the Northeast. So it was with the same approach. You know, I moved in. I had been promoted by this time to a division level position, which was even greater responsibilities. I had multiple buildings in multiple cities that I was responsible for. And again, multiple people at different levels that I had responsibility for. So it was the same approach, just to sit down, talk with people, understand what their issues are, um, figure out ways to find common ground so that we could take care of the responsibilities that we had as a team. You know, it, it's not all about managing the conflict, but we actually have goals that we needed to achieve. So we have to get past the conflict so that we can focus on problem and results. And uh, that's what we did, and that's what I do in every different situation I've been put in, is try to get to the root causes of the problems and put them to bed up front so that we can focus on attaining our goals. So in New Jersey, um, was the color of the department starting to, you know, have some dark people. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, in yeah. New Jersey, definitely was the first experience where I had um, more of a diverse workforce. In both uh, Omaha, my entire team was not diverse. Uh, in Tennessee, no diversity. And um, finally, in New Jersey, we did have um, some diverse people that were a part of the staff. And it definitely helps to make um, problem resolution better because then you reach people where they are. So people can see people that look like themselves and can relate to others that are on the management team. And again, I think all of that just helps work through conflict a whole lot better. Okay, so now you're starting to make moves kind of Midwest, closer to home again. We got Kansas and Kentucky. Mm -hmm. How were those different? Um, Kansas, I really enjoyed. Kansas culture was very similar to living. It was already, it was the Midwest, so it was very similar to Omaha from a cultural perspective. But in Kansas, I had many different roles, not only in the plant engineering group, but I also was an operations manager. So I ran a package division for several months. I took a rotation into IE and spent seven or eight months in an IE role. So um, it wasn't so much culture that was different in Kansas, but it was the job responsibilities for me that were outside of my comfort zone. So again, in every role, I had to take the opportunity to understand what the responsibilities were for me to accomplish and to get to know the people and um, utilize the people to help make me better because they would supplement the things that I did not know so that I could be effective in my role. So one of the reasons that we are recognizing you, Rhonda, is not only for your personal achievement, but because people actually noticed that you were starting to pull other people of color mm -hmm. up through the ranks and give them opportunities too. Mm -hmm. At what point in these moves did you start to realize, you know, I am going to use my position of influence mm -hmm. to make a difference? Um, I would say every single one of them. I, I think I really started to gain momentum when you reach a director's level, when you have the opportunity to promote and bring people in. Um, I think that's when you really have the opportunity to make the, the greatest impact. So for me, that started in New Jersey, but it's always been a passion of mine. And the reason it has been is I know how difficult it was for me. So I always say the things that make us different sometimes are the things that hold us back because people don't necessarily value what is not like themselves, if I can say it that way. So the fact that I'm a female, the fact that I'm a minority um, made it difficult for me in many situations because people could not relate to my experience. And the talents may look differently in a female versus a male or in an African-American versus a um, a, um, a Caucasian person. The talents may just look differently, but it doesn't mean the talents don't exist. So for me, I always wanted to carve a path for people who were different 
because one, they bring a different perspective and because I know the challenges it takes to get those opportunities. So it's been a passion of mine from the very beginning, but the more opportunities UPS provided me, it opened the door for me to provide more opportunities for others. Who are some of the people that you picked up the phone and called and cried or, I don't know, got advice from when times were really tough and you needed some help? Yeah, I would say I'm a person who leans very heavily on my family. Um, I would say that it was a phone call to my mother, to my father. My father was always my encouragement. Um, he was always proud of what I accomplished, but my mother's always been the one that handles managing my heart better. And I think I have a very, I know I have a very large heart and it's damaged very easily. So when I need people to shore me up, those are the people I rely on. I also do it to my husband, but I try not to do it too much. He gets a little bit of it every day. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> when, it's, when it's really serious and it's really bad, I would say those were the people that I relied on the most. What about UPS mentors? Anybody that you? I, I did. The, uh, I've always had UPS mentors. The challenge for me has been most of my mentors, um, especially in my function, did not look like me. I kind of am the pioneer of my function, especially from a minority, from a female perspective. There were no other women in the base function that I could bounce ideas off of because I was the one. And you'll find as you move through the ranks, it gets harder and harder. You know, when you become a division manager, you can no longer use your old peers as your friends. You have a different level of responsibility. So being able to manage that effectively, it was always easier for me to take those types of problems outside the organization. But I always had mentors internally that would help me with my UPS career and how, what processes or what steps I need to take to be noticed. I always had several of those. Rosemary Turner was one, for example. Rosemary was the first African-American female that I actually worked for, not in the base function, but she was my district manager very early on in Omaha. And I, I tease Rosemary to this day. I learned a lot about what African-American female leadership looks like from her. I got to see how she walked and how she talked and how she carried herself. And those uh, lessons were so invaluable. And Rosemary's always been the person who would take the time to talk to you and kind of mentor you and put you back on track. So I have so much respect for everything that I learned from her as I moved through my career. She was definitely a person who influenced me very early on. Several of our honorees have talked about mentors and sponsors being mm -hmm. very tough on them because they were trying to get them promoted as part of that plan mm -hmm. to develop them. And um, Ken Cherry, for example, talked about mm -hmm. how tough Jim Weinstock was on him. Mm -hmm. You know, and Rosemary Turner said, yeah, Jim, Cal, they were so, the brothers mm -hmm. were so tough on me. You know, did you see yourself as being tough when you were trying to mentor and pull others along and develop them? I, I, think, um, I think I'm still tough on people, but probably in a different way. Um, my style, again, I mentioned is, is pretty collaborative. So I like to understand how people see themselves and how they see their challenges. So anyone that I'm mentoring, I'm always gonna talk to them about their perspective first before I provide mine. And then I do hold people, I would call it more accountability than tough. So there's a young lady that I mentored pretty much through the majority of her career. And she always joked that she didn't like it when I was in the meetings with her because she knew it was like the mother's eye was on her to make sure that she was on time and that her presentations were prepared to the best of their ability and that she communicated to the best of her ability. So yeah, that accountability is there. If I'm gonna invest my time in you and mentor you, my expectations are gonna be very, very high. So yeah, I would say I'm tough, but not um, a tough, more like a tough mother is the way I would characterize my style. So there's more of a guilt when you don't do well than there is a, uh, a switch that's coming to get you because you did not do well. So Atlanta, Georgia, 
Mm-hmm. I remember when you were named Chief Sustainability Officer, mm-hmm. and I thought, what? <laughs> A sister who's over the environment? <laughs> How did you feel about that distinction? Um, it was a, that role was a challenge for me. Um, sustainability was housed in the engineering group. So it was a part of my function that I had been a part of for years, but it had never been a direct responsibility for me. So again, out of my comfort zone. And also engineers are typically quiet. We're reserved. We like to work, you know, odd hours behind the scenes. We're not typically people who are put in front of the camera. So that sustainability role is very um, outward facing. (laughs) So it was quite a challenge for me to learn the content as well as be comfortable on stage and to represent a great organization like UPS with all of the sustainability initiatives, not just internally, but also externally. You and I were in Brussels together. (laughs) And that was, I think, the first time that I actually saw you in action. And I remember it was a very busy day and you had to sit on stage with some local, some people from the um, EU, mm-hmm. right? The European Union, and talk about sustainability and all these global things. Yes. And I just remember you walking and you were so calm. And when you opened your mouth, it just flowed. And people in the audience <laughs> were like floored. People, you know, when we were leaving, people were like, she's amazing. Women of all nationalities, oh, my God, she's amazing. I love her. You know, I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's like this is what us black girls do, you know. I was very proud of you in in that moment. Um, So your function has changed its name. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that because when I say plant engineering, some of the old timers, Mm -hmm. they go, yeah. But when I say base they look at me like, what? (laughs) Absolutely. Talk about the name change. Absolutely. Um, As transformation came to UPS back in 2018, um, for the plant engineering function, 2018 and 2019, we were pretty much out of scope. Um, The plant engineering function was growing like crazy as we expanded all of our automation capabilities. We're adding capacity to the network. So my function was growing by leaps and bounds. Um, And we were kind of out of scope for the transformation part that was happening inside of UPS. But we decided to transform ourselves. We decided that we had a responsibility to participate in the transformation of UPS. So we developed our own initiatives that we thought could help bring the company value by saving money, by becoming more efficient. And one of the things that we decided to transform was our name. Um, For all the years that I've been in plant engineering, people would always ask me, what is plant engineering? Externally, inside of UPS, people knew what plant engineering was and what we did, but when you were external to UPS, and I'd say I'm the president of plant engineering for UPS, people would look at me with the blankest stare. Um, We felt like our name was outdated. The name plant in and of itself um, references a facility that we consider, our our buildings are highly automated. They're they're efficient operating machines. They're not a plant. So we wanted to evolve ourselves and changing our name to buildings and systems really more defines who we are and what we do. We are responsible for everything in a facility from the design of it through the construction, maintenance, and uh, technical support on the back end. And uh, systems, you know, we, we designed these complicated automated systems. We have robots inside our buildings. So we felt like the name Buildings and Systems more represented who we are and what we do. So as a part of our internal transformation, we transformed our name and transformed our brand. 
And the other thing that has transformed is there are now several African-American faces, people of color, in your department. Absolutely. You're directly responsible for that. Give me an example of some people that you've made sure that they help get promoted. Oh, absolutely. We have um, taken diversity and inclusion to the next level in base. Um, it's very deliberate. It's on purpose. Uh, my direct, all of my direct district managers, I have three right now. Two are African-American males and one is Hispanic. Um, that doesn't happen by accident. It happens by developing people where they are. We, um, we do it on a regular basis. We have uh, career development discussions about our people at least monthly because we identify talent early and we put together a plan to get them developed so that when the opportunities become available, they're already on the list. We are not looking to identify candidates when the job is open. It's too late then. DNI is happening in base very, very intentionally, and it's not just something that I embrace, that my district managers embrace, that my senior directors embrace. It gets embraced all the way and through the entire function. We have targeted goals. We're very deliberate about who we hire, when we hire, and why we hire. And the message that we communicate is that it's not just about providing opportunities for people who are disadvantaged or who have not had those opportunities in the past. It's about providing opportunities for everyone. Everyone inside of BASE has opportunities to get promoted. And the point we always have to make and remind people is, as you see the diversity numbers change and improve, that we are still um, promoting non-minorities also. I always have to go back and say when people go, well, it feels like all you, you just have to be a minority or a female to get promoted in BASE. And I always remind them 60, 70% of who we're promoting, they're still non-minorities. All we're doing is making sure that everyone has an opportunity to lead. And the thing I'm most proudest about our DNI initiative is the success that we've had on the heels of all of these promotions of diverse people. Because now we truly have the diversity of thought in action. We have the diversity of background in action. We have all these different um, skill sets that we're acquiring from people who go to schools all over the world. So all of those things are now relevant and happening every day in our function. And we've continued to achieve success with DNI leading the way. Last year for the first time, or in 2018 actually, the base function attained a Horizon Award. In our history, we never achieved a Horizon Award ever. And I always brag and say, it's on the heels of DNI. It is because we, diversity of thought, diversity of action, that we've been able to develop plans and technologies and solutions that are actually driving results. Speaking of diversity and inclusion, we have our first female CEO in company history, Carol Tomei. So awesome. What are your thoughts about her first speech? Um, I tell you what, I, I've been listening to Carol. Um, I've been in the management conference for the last couple of days, and just the shift that we're making in our becoming a company with purpose and all the, the diversity and inclusion initiatives that she's been able to bring to the table and all of the culture, which UPS has a great history of a positive culture, so I will never ever take that away from our success. But we have some other challenges from our culture as well. And Carol's just walked in head on addressing all of those issues. And today, as I was listening to her speak, I see it every time I listen to her. Her style is so similar to mine. Get in early, listen to people, find out what the problems are, come up with some solutions to find common ground. I mean, she's doing all those things that I described very early on as my approach as to, to leadership. So I can't be, couldn't be more happy with Carol and her approach to leadership. I think she's doing an outstanding job. What do you think the greatest gift UPS has given to Rhonda Clark is? 
I think the greatest gift UPS has given me is opportunity. And I don't just mean that in job opportunities. I think people, when you say, you know, UPS has given me opportunities, yeah, I've had an opportunity to be a region manager. That's just really exciting. I never, ever dreamed or imagined in my career I would sit in this seat. But I think it's the opportunities for all those other things, the opportunity to move, the opportunity to lead, the opportunity to communicate, the opportunity to be uncomfortable, to put me in situations like CSO and say, Go talk to a group of 2,000 people about what UPS is all about from a sustainability perspective. I think all of those opportunities have developed me and shaped me into the person that I never would have been without UPS. So I'm forever grateful for the opportunity to be a part of an organization this great and for their investment in me. I feel like UPS has invested a lot of responsibility on this you know, young girl who started as a you know, plant engineering supervisor in Knoxville, Tennessee. Now I sit as the president of our global buildings and systems engineering group. I mean, it's just something I never would have imagined in my entire life. What is the greatest gift Rhonda Clark has given UPS? I would say that has been my commitment. You know, in my life, I've committed to three things that I say have great longevity. My commitment to my faith, my commitment to my family, and UPS is right there at number three. It's the third thing in my life that I've committed myself to. And when I commit myself, there's nothing that I won't do to make sure that we're achieving the things that are important to UPS. So the commitment of my time, the commitment to UPS's people, I can't tell you how much of myself I give to UPS's people to make sure they know that they can achieve what I've achieved, that they can achieve more than I achieve. But I'm committed to that because it's important. The, commit the commitment to making sure that UPS gets the results that we need from my areas of responsibility. I'm committed to that, I work on it every day, and I make sure my entire team embraces that. And what I say to my team if they were here, they tell you is I'm always talking about staying on the chalk line. You know, so many things can distract you from what our goals are, what our mission is, what our purpose is, what we're trying to work to achieve. So I make sure that we stay focused on the chalk line, those things that add value, and those that do not, we let them pass by the wayside. We have to stay on target. Before we close, is there anything else you wanna say? Um, not that I can think of specifically other than, um, again, I, I just feel so honored and so humbled. It, it is, I, I look at myself in the mirror now, you know, 31 years later, and I look back at the person who I was 31 years ago, and a lot of the positive changes in my life have come through this experience at UPS. So I, think, say, I believe that anything that's really worth working for is going to be challenging, and I have been challenged at UPS, let me tell you, it has not been an easy road. But, you know, looking back always gives perspective, and the perspective that I have now is that uh, I've been so fortunate and so blessed to have the opportunity to work for a company that's great. Rhonda Clark, on behalf of the African American BRG at UPS, we so thank you for your contributions. We love you, and we will remember you always. Thank you, April. I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you. This is Black Voices from Big Brown, the untold stories of African-Americans at UPS. Black Voices from Big Brown is a production of the African-American Business Resource Group at UPS. We thank UPS for its leadership, support, and courage over the years to champion social justice and reform. Thank you for listening to Black Voices from Big Brown, the untold stories of African-Americans at UPS. Visit blackvoicesfrombigbrown.com for more moving success stories. So, after listening to this interview, ask yourself, 
did my why get answered? Do I feel something more? Do I feel a little more enlightened? Do I feel a little more empowered? That is the message that we want you to get while listening to Black Voices from Big Brown.